And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Now, chapter 6, we're in the last chapter of Galatians. By the way, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible, I think you'll find it around page 975, uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at the first five verses of this chapter. Now, I want to remind us as we, as we worship this morning, as we open up our Bibles to this passage, I, I want to remind us of exactly what we are engaged in this morning that there is a very real sense. And, and I do think that we need to think in these terms often. There's a very real sense in which there's a kingdom that has entered into this world, into the, the worldly kingdom, uh, and it has claimed for itself certain people, certain people who belong to that king and that kingdom uh, in mind and heart so that we think differently than the rest of the world. Uh, and in that, we have different desires. And we have uh, different uh, ways of thinking. Uh, we have a different purpose. We also have a tremendous difference in what and who we uh, give ourselves over to. You know, I was watching some coverage over this past week of... Uh, of the Ukraine war, and in this coverage, it, it showed uh, a line of young men who were streaming out of, out of Russia, uh, avoiding the draft there, and there was a reporter who asked a very obvious question, and, and he said, approached one of the young men, and he said, you're a Russian citizen. Why are you fleeing your country? Uh, and the answer that the man gave was in, in these terms. He said, I'm I am a Russian uh, a passport holder, but he said, I cannot be in submission to something that I know is, is wrong. And the Christian, similarly, not in relation to country, but in relation to this world system, says something very similar. Uh, we say, I'm not of this world. My mind and my heart are not invested in this world. I belong to another. And like that Russian passport holder, it's not just something that we, we know up here and that we think, but it's something that enters into our behavior and into the decisions that we make and the acts, the way that we uh, choose to live our lives. And that's the, the part of the book of Galatians that we've entered into a few weeks ago uh, with chapter 5 and now into chapter 6. Uh, uh, last week and, and uh, a few weeks prior to that, we looked at chapter 5 and we saw there Paul's encouragement to live according to that mindset, uh, not of this world, which is of the flesh, but to live according to this other kingdom that has entered in and to live according to the Spirit. Uh, at one point, verse 16 of chapter 5, Paul said, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he went on to show how 
These two kingdoms are opposed to each other. And uh, he encouraged us to live according to the one kingdom where a certain kind of fruit is produced, not according to that other kingdom. Last week we looked at that fruit, uh, that the fruit of living according to the flesh that we find uh, beginning in verse 19 uh, is very, very different from the fruit that's produced when we live according to the Spirit, which begins in verse 22. They couldn't be more uh, different, more opposed to each other. And so now as we get into chapter 6, we're going to move from there into what you might, might call the nitty-gritty, into, into the details of how, what does it look like to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh? What does it look like to be a spiritual person? Uh, and the exhortation is, you're living in this kingdom now, and so live according to the Spirit Live as one who is spiritual, one who has the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And so that's what we're going to see beginning in chapter 6. Again, we'll just read the first five verses. So please look there with me. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And we thank you that we can know that this is truth. And we thank you that by your spirit that you open our eyes to see, to be able to understand, to apply it uh, to our own lives. And so we pray for that this morning. Uh, we pray that you would... Uh, help us to be able to see, help us to be able to hear truly, internally, and to take this word, to apply it to our own hearts, and to live truly as a part of this kingdom, the kingdom of God, which has come into this world. We pray for your help. In Christ's name, amen. So we've got that question. What does it look like to be a spiritual person, to live a spiritual life? You know, I think that's a question that the church, especially, has been struggling with, I'd say, on a great degree over the past century, uh, and it continues today, and it's a question that our text uh, answers and has been answering, uh, but it's, it's a struggle that's been there, of course, throughout the entire time of the church. There's one of the, the commentaries I have on, on the book of Galatians, it, it mentions in there one way that this was handled in the first uh, few hundred years of the church, and it's something I remember hearing about in, uh, in a church history class. Uh, it's an account about a man who lived about 
400 years after Christ. And this man wanted to go all out in living the spiritual life. And so here's what he did. He went out into the desert and he lived for 37 years atop a stone pillar that had a small platform at the top. Now prior to this, he had tried a number of times to, to get away uh, in the desert and to live uh, in such a way that, that he could be near to God. And so he tried to get away from people and to focus entirely upon God, but his mannerisms and the way he went about it caused people to, to flock to him. They were interested and they wanted to see. And so what he ended up deciding was that the only way he could get away from the people was to climb this pillar. And initially it was at one height and then later he had it built higher and eventually he was 50 feet off the ground uh, living for 37 years so that he could escape people and focus upon God. And that's what he determined was the, the way of true uh, spiritual living, to separate himself completely from the world so that he could live a life of devotion to God. Now, I think if we think about today, ways in which that same question is answered, we're going to see a number of them. Uh, so what does it look like to be a truly spiritual person now, some have determined, like this, this man that we talked about, the way is the way of isolation. It comes by way of private devotions and private retreats and, and listening for God's still, quiet voice uh, in their own uh, communion, their own lives. For others, it may come through a certain type of, of worship experience. And so often you can go into worship and there are, there are candles there and there is incense burning, the lights are down low. You've got worship music that evokes a certain emotional response and uh, that's one way of seeking to be spiritual. For others, it's seeking an emotional, mystical experience with the Holy Spirit and there are a number of ways uh, that this is done. And there are all sorts of other means by which people have tried to become spiritual. But the question, of course, is what, is, what does the Bible tell us? Uh, well, what we've been looking at over the past several weeks, uh, as we've looked at Galatians chapter 5, is that a spiritual person is, very simply, a person who has trusted in the Lord Jesus. And therefore, he or she has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him or her, and secondly, they are in a place in which they are walking with the Spirit. We saw that what, what that means partly is that the struggle with the flesh is present, that it's ongoing and it is producing in that person's life spiritual fruit. This is not always the case for someone who uh, knows the Lord. Uh, we can be in a place in our lives in which we're not walking with the Spirit, as we've seen. But any time that this is happening, almost any time, there's one key ingredient that's going to be present. And we see this again and again. And that key ingredient is other people. 
And we don't generally see walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, uh, keeping in step with the Spirit, coming about by a person who is alone. No, the context for living the spiritual life is primarily this. It's life in the church. It's relationships with others that serve as, if you will, the proving ground for the spiritual life. You, know, you can see that with the fruit of the Spirit itself, can't you? If you think about the fruit that's mentioned, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, many of these requiring others to be there. We said it's really all one fruit. Uh, but love summarizes it all. Uh, and this can only really happen when others are, are present. They're involved in our lives. And that's what we're going to find out in today's passage. Now, Paul addresses his instructions here to you who are spiritual. He's talking about you who have this kingdom mindset. You who are led by the Spirit. You who, through your interactions with people in the church are loving them. And so you're producing fruit that can only come from a life that is led and under, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, just think for a moment, what do we so often do when we have problems, when we have relational problems with others in the church especially? What do we do? We so often treat them as problems that we just want to get rid of. We want to shield ourselves from. Uh, so you might, if you've got, you got an issue there, you might stop talking to a person or, or sometimes you might move to a different place and in the, the, the fellowship, the communion. We might sit in a different place where we don't have to deal with them. Uh, another way, we might blow up in anger or talk about them behind their, their back or... Uh, the extreme people sometimes just leave the church altogether. So what are we really doing when we approach that relationship problem within the church in any of those ways? Well, what we're really doing is we're throwing away the opportunity that God has provided for us to mature spiritually and to bear fruit, to produce fruit. But if we if we want to answer that question, what does it look like to be a spiritual person, to live a spiritual life? We've got to answer the question in this way. And this is what Paul is really getting at here. That true spirituality is gauged especially by how one loves others. Especially others who are a part of the community of faith. And we're going we're gonna to see that spelled out in this passage as we walk through it. And, and I think as we go through passages like this, this is certainly one among many, that it should become clear to us how important the church is. It's the place where our faith is tested often, and, it, and where it's developed, and where it's shown to be real. And it's in the church that we become this beacon of light to the world in which we live. You know, Jesus said this in, in John 13. He said, By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's what we're seeing as we go through this passage. And so true spirituality is shown especially by love for one another. We're going to see that drawn out in a couple of different ways uh, as we gently are called to restore one another from sin. That's loving one another. Secondly, bearing one another's burdens. That's loving one another. And then finally, considering others of greater importance than ourselves. So true spirituality, what does it mean? First of all, gently restoring one another from sin. So you think about sin. And if, if sin is our great problem in this world, which is what we see, and if sin is what separates us from God, from, from truly living and ultimately uh, from being together with God finally, then shouldn't we be concerned about the effect of sin in others who are around us, brothers and sisters within the church? And the answer is yes, that part of loving a brother, part of loving a sister in Christ is to be concerned about their relationship with the Lord, which means being concerned about sin. Look at verse 1 with me. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers. What a wonderful way Paul starts this off. Brothers. He means brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, that last phrase there, he, he's communicating there a real understanding of the danger of sin for every one of us. Uh, he, he recognizes that we are susceptible at all times to falling into sin. So he gives that caution. As you do this, pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to your own vulnerability. But... But notice what this statement is saying about those who have the Spirit, those who are spiritual, he says. Those who submit themselves to be led by the Spirit. He says, first of all, that they have a genuine concern and a care for others in the church and about their spiritual condition. I'd like for us to stop there for a second and and recognize how significant this is. And how different this is from the rest of the world. You know, the world is what? The world is self-absorbed. The world is all about increasing your own status, increasing your own wealth, your own prestige, caring about your own family. And so the guiding principle in the world is what? It's to let people have their own private lives and not to meddle in those lives. But Paul here is saying that a spiritual person is genuinely concerned with a brother, genuinely concerned with a sister in the Lord, and concerned about what they're doing, concerned about what they're thinking, what their minds and their hearts are about, where their mind is. This is something that's only brought about, this caring for others in this way. It's only brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of a person causing you to have a sincere concern for the spiritual condition of that person. 
And especially, therefore, if they have been, as he says here, caught in a sin. Now, that word caught in the, in the Greek, it, it carries with it a time factor. It's as if in their lives a, a, a sin has, has been uncovered. It's come to light. It's been found out. Maybe you've begun to recognize uh, in this person this particular area. And then you want to have them restored from it. But not only that. Not only do you have a genuine concern for the person's spiritual well-being, but this is saying that you will take that to the next step and that you'll willingly become involved. And what that means is to meddle and to engage in their lives and with them. Now, I will say this especially applies to leadership within the church, especially to pastors. Uh, this formal handling of discipline within the church. Uh, I'm involved in a case right now in our presbytery that has to do with a particular man, a particular teaching elder. Uh, usually that's a, a pastor within the church who has been found, it's believed, to uh, have engaged in a particular sin that's of a public nature. And so the desire, the goal of the presbytery is to, if he's found guilty, uh, to ultimately restore this man, to have him recognize his sin, to have him turn and repent of it and return to the Lord, return to his church. And so that's our desire. And this verse provides instruction in cases like that. But you know what? I, I, I think it's clear that Paul is not only providing instruction for formal cases of discipline, for leadership, but more generally, he's making a statement, he says, for all of you who are spiritual, all of you who are walking in the Spirit and by the Spirit, to have a concern for others within the body in this way. Not to, to go around accusing people, but to go around caring for people. Because notice he says, in a spirit of gentleness. To restore a brother or a sister with gentleness. Now, gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at uh, last week. It, it means, this word in particular, means coming alongside of someone with a true humility, without any sense of, of harshness or just trying to come down on them. This, this never means just accepting or excusing sin, but humbly helping them with seeing their own sin, bringing it out, helping them to see why this is true sin, and then bringing them back, seeking to restore them. You know, that word that's used, restore, it's the same word that's used for mending fish nets, to take and restore it to its prior condition, to gently restore I think we get a good uh, picture of that out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, a place where uh, discipline is being dealt with. And we hear this directed to the center. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. 
Think about that. That's, that. that's a wonderful encouragement, or it should be, when it's spoken into a person's life. It's, it's, it's speaking about taking a, a bone, perhaps, that's been broken and restoring it. One commentator put it this way, uh, in some ways, restoring a center is not all that different from this, from setting a broken bone. And he said, the process is bound to be painful, no matter what it does and who it's for. But the more quickly and, and skillfully that the bone is set, the sooner that healing can begin. And so in the same way, someone who tends to a, a sinner's wounds must do it with gentle kindness. So first of all, true spirituality means loving in this way, gently restoring one another from sin. But it also means, we see this in verse 2, bearing one another's burdens. This is harder, uh, more difficult, more of a challenge, uh, because caring for a person in their sin is often not easy. And if it's done under the leading of the Spirit, there's, there's going to be sacrifice involved. But then, this is really at the heart of it, that's the nature by which we have been loved. Bearing one another's burdens. That's the nature by which we have been loved. And so it's the nature by which we are called to love others. Look with me at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the word burden that's used there is literally talking about a heavy weight or a stone. And the picture here is a, a spiritually mature person coming alongside a, a brother or a sister and figuratively picking up that heavy weight or that stone for the other person and carrying it for them a lengthy distance. Now the problem is that part of that burden may be that they never recognize uh, that you carried it for them. Or you may never receive a word of thanks. And in fact, instead, at times, you may receive insults from them or from others. You may uh, have to face injustices. But that can be part of what bearing a burden for others is all about, what it entails. But it's not only calling a person back from sin. I, I don't think that's all that is being uh, brought out here. Uh, we often, in many contexts, uh, see this call to bear a burden for others. Uh, now, this is particularly, again, it's the calling of a pastor. Uh, and this can be a, I'll speak from experience, a daunting thing, a difficult thing. But again, I think that also more generally, this applies to all believers. You know, the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. And how do you do this? How do you lighten someone else's load? It's by carrying part of that load for them. And so carrying that burden for someone else may be, as you become involved and engaged in their lives, it may be hearing about dealing with caring for them in discouragement or it, when there's worry there or loneliness or divorce or poverty of some kind, or rejection 
or depression. And when we set ourselves and our own happiness aside, then we are able to take that load for others. In Romans chapter 15, right at the beginning of the chapter, Paul talks about this. He says, we who are strong, he's talking about spiritually strong, we who are spiritual, you might say, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You know, it's, it's this process of taking from ourselves and giving to others. Now, I think the world around us might respond to that in this way. You might say, why? Why would I ever do that? All that's going to do is to pull me down. Yet the born-again believer is always going to know the source, where the source for that kind of outgoing love is going to come from. And the key there is the source for that is not here. It's not me. It's nothing that I generate. It's that which comes from outside of me. It's a love that has been shown to me. You know, Jeremiah 31.3, I have been loved with an everlasting love. And that has enabled me to love. Think about that. You've got a person. You got, it's like a vessel. And you've got love that's being poured in and love that's going out. And therefore, there's never an emptying of that love from the person. Now, the question is, of course, how? Where does that come from? Listen to these words out of Isaiah 53. Surely He, that's Jesus Christ, so looking forward to Christ, surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The rebuke upon Him was the wrath. That kind of peace, inner peace. That kind of, of love. And so therefore, that's what He is living out of. You see why, therefore, the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow out of a person? Because He's forever being fed by this, this fire, hose, fire, fire hose of God's love that is filling him up and that enables him to love others as he has been loved. And that's probably what Paul is referring to here as he speaks about the law of Christ. His commandment is what? It's that we love one another. How are we able to do that? How could we possibly look around yourself you know that others around you are not so different from yourself. Difficult to love. How are we able to do that? Because we ourselves have come to know the love of Christ. You know, on the other side of the mountain from which I, I grew up, there's a place you ever traveled there. It's called Caesar's Head. And there's a very curvy road that goes down the mountain. And in in the heart of one of those curves, and I passed by there hundreds of times, I'm sure, uh, there's this pipe that comes out of the mountain. And I, I remember with all those times of, of, of going past there, through all the years of growing up, 
didn't matter what the conditions were, uh, if there had been rain or if it was completely dry and all the other streams were dried up. But coming out of that pipe would always be this same flowing stream of fresh water. And so you'd find people there lined up often with jugs of different sizes filling up with this fresh water that never ended. You know, that's, that's like the supply that we receive of God's love. It's constant. And it's sufficient for us. His mercies are new every morning. You know, we ourselves are able to have that supply so that we will never thirst, so that we can give others that same water. So the question for each of us is, do you know that water? Do you know that which quenches thirst fully and will never end in its ability to satisfy? So as those who are spiritual, if we have that, number one, we're able to gently restore others from sin. Number two, we're able to bear one another's burdens. And then Paul says this, and this is perhaps the most difficult for many to take of all, the most challenging. He says that we are to, this is going to be verses 3 to 5, we are to consider others more important than ourselves. You know, here is how you, the spiritual person, are to love others. You are to consider them more important than yourself. Now think about it. If it was difficult to bear another's burdens, this deals at the very heart of our sin, doesn't it? It's far beyond that. It's very unlike uh, anything in this world. Uh, look at what Paul says at the beginning of verse 3. He says, For if anyone, he's saying any one of you, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. You know, Paul's admonition here is this. Do not have a wrong view of your importance and of your status. You know, he's, he's talking about a, a worldly view, the worldly view that's held by those in the world. We've known it ourselves. Where you gain your sense of well-being from what you're able to do, what you have done, uh, what, what others think about you, how you've performed in comparison to others. And this is, of course, this is the way of the world. It's how people come to think about themselves. That's how they are in relation to others. Now, why would that matter when it comes to loving others? Because the way that we treat others is especially dependent upon what we think about ourselves. People who have a very high opinion of themselves are generally unwilling, unless it does something for them, unwilling to stoop and to help others out. They think that others are beneath them. Why should they stoop and help this other person? It might affect their standing. And the real problem is this. 
that this is the very thing that they're holding on to. You know, quite some time back, I was working with a particular man, and I, I was leading him through Scripture. We had some time to spend a fair amount of time in Scripture. And there was, all the way through, there was this one particular stumbling block which he could not get past. And it was this. It was the depravity of man. That as a result of the fall, we, every single person, has been infected by sin in every part of our being so that no part is unaffected. And because of that, we are those who are enslaved to the evil desires of our hearts and are unable to make ourselves worthy, truly worthy, before the Lord. And so this man would go back again and again and again to what he had done. And he'd go back again and again to comparing himself to others whom he saw as evil. And out of that, he spoke about his goodness. And he told me many times, And very honestly, he said, if I gave up on that, I'd have nothing left. I would be an absolute nothing. And I'd descend into the darkest depression. So I can't do that. I've got to hang on to that. You know, in that state, this man and any other person is really completely self-absorbed. He couldn't reach out. He couldn't truly and genuinely care for other people. His pride was thick. Look again at what, what Paul says in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's saying that to think in the way that this man that I was describing to you thought is to deceive oneself. When we gain a sense of our well-being from the things that we've done, from comparing ourselves to others, It's what the world calls self-esteem. And what are we doing? Ultimately, then, we're drawing from an empty well. That's what Paul means when he says he is nothing. He's not exaggerating. Uh, John Calvin put it this way. He said, We have nothing of our own to boast about, but are destitute of every good thing. And so this man, this friend was exactly right, that if he took on that view, the biblical view, the true view, and had nothing else there to draw from, that it would drive him into a deep depression. And it's true. That's where the gospel comes in. Because when we know that we've been redeemed by Christ, when we know that we've been bought at a price, and that He has paid it all, and that we stand before Him, taken care of, fully forgiven, and that we now take Christ's righteousness upon ourselves, then what do we no longer have a need to do? We no longer need to prop ourselves up by looking at others. Why? Because we are in Christ. And so what Paul says here is he says, check yourself, test yourself, make sure that these things are true of you. Make certain that you are obtaining your sense of well-being, your sense of who you are from your relationship with the Lord. And seek encouragement from your own increase in spiritual maturity. 
And he's saying in this way, you're not going to need to compare yourself to others, but rather you're already received and accepted by God. And all you're doing is seeing with greater and greater assurance that you belong to Him as you see more and more fruit being produced. What are you doing? You're, you're testing your own work. You're seeing your own growth in maturity over time. You know, runners, we just had a cross-country season recently, and runners are always talking about uh, something called their PR, their personal record. And what that is, is in a particular distance, let's say a mile, uh, their PR is, is the fastest time that they've run that mile. And the reason they're always talking about it is because they're going back again and again to compare themselves to that and to see, am I improving? Am I increasing? That's what Paul is calling for us here to do. Let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. You won't need to look to others to see that. It'll be in yourself. You're already received and accepted. Now you're just gaining greater and greater assurance of the salvation that is yours in Christ. And what's the result of that when we live in that way? It is that we are freed, we are enabled to love others. Uh, We are no longer looking entirely at ourselves, but our minds and our hearts are able to give themselves over to others, not because we set ourselves above others and we look to get something from them as the rest of the world does, but, but because we are truly and genuinely seeing ourselves in a right way, that apart from God, I am nothing, but in Him, I belong to Christ. And that's my desire for you and for you and for you. And so a true love begins to flow out of that. I want you to think back to this man that I described at the beginning, this man who set himself on a pedestal and no doubt uh, was seeking truly to draw close to God. Yet, ultimately, what we see is that it is in in relationship with one another, that we have the opportunity to exercise our faith and thereby become more and more those who God has created us to be, to become more and more spiritual in the sense that we're walking by the Spirit. And we've got love that is flowing into us and love that is flowing out of us. And we become an instrument for His use, rather than an instrument that's focused entirely upon ourselves. And so this is where the rubber meets the road. This is how the Lord has called us to live our lives and to behave day after day. And He says that as we do that, we will in our lives begin to show more and more of that fruit which is Right, which is righteous, rather than that fruit which is of the flesh. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This should be the desire of our hearts as we look to the Lord and to live out of our relationship with Him. Now, please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You uh, for Your church. 
We thank You for Your provision for these things that we've been talking about this morning. Uh, We thank You that You don't do that work in our lives at, at one point and then just leave us. That You will continue to do that work day after day until it is finally complete and we are together with You. Uh, We do pray for Your help in this. We pray that we would be those who are walking by the Spirit more and more. We We pray that we would be those who would desire that type of communion amongst ourselves, that we would be those more and more who truly do care about one another and about Uh, our spiritual uh, lives and are willing to enter into one another's lives and to care truly for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to see ourselves in a right way and to live the life that you've given us to live. Uh, We pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen.